This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 164 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I have to say, I'm pretty excited about today's episode. And of course, there's the usual mail and the Collector Classified segment, which I enjoy both of those. But after that, I've got a real fun conversation with Jake Roy from 90s B-Ball Cards talking about, you guessed it, 90s b-ball cards um, his top 10 most iconic parallels to be specific and you guys know even though i started collecting around 1995 i'm more of a 2000s guy i talked about that in the last week's episode so anytime i can find someone like jake that's passionate about 90s cards and knows what they're talking about they have my undivided attention i am ready to learn so that will be today's main segment you'll want to make sure to stick around for that With that being said, I'm going to try and keep this thing moving, so uh, let's jump right into today's mail segment, which does not feature a single 90s card, but it's stuff that I really like nonetheless. Uh, The first piece of mail I want to talk about today was shipped via eBay standard envelope program. Once again, I think this program's been great for low-end stuff. Um, If you're a seller out there and you're on the fence about doing it, please, please, please sign up for this program. I think you'll see um, it pay off in your sales here. But um, I got this card that I'm about to talk about for something like $3 shipped. And it was a 2018-2019 Aaron Holiday Status Pursuit die cut. Um, I don't need to talk a ton about status here. I've talked about it multiple times before, including a small bit on last week's episode. Anyway, I've been chasing these die cuts for a while now. Um, I think the belief is that they were still case hits. I'm not really sure of a print run, but I think it's considerably higher than the 2017 iteration. But um, that made for a fun chase, though, because they were limited, but not impossible. Now, I thought when I got this that I was pretty much done with the set, but um, this mail day prompted me to pull up the checklist on Trading Card Database, and there are five total pacers. You got Oladipo, Bogdanovich, Miles Turner, and then the rookies that year had two different variations, so there's two Aaron Holidays. Um, it turns out this is only my third one. So I've got Oladipo, I've got Bogdanovich, and now that gives me Holiday. So I need Miles Turner and I need that second Holiday. The hunt continues. I know I've passed on these before, but um, you know I'm just not going to pay a lot for them. So currently neither one of them is on eBay. That's fine. I'm not in a huge rush here. If anything, I think these longer low-end chases keep things interesting. So In a way, I'm kind of glad that I can't just scoop them all up at once. Um, Another thing that I can't scoop up all at once would be Topps Chrome Gold Refractors. 
Um, and if I could do so, I would definitely be more inclined to do that than I am with the pursuits. But um, so I can't scoop those up. However, I did grab a nice one for the PC this week. That was actually an upgrade. I got a 2003-2004 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor of Jamal Tinsley, numbered 11 of 99. Now, those of you that are a little more basketball savvy, you might even recall that 11 was the Tin Man's jersey number, which is why this particular copy is an upgrade. And the whole thing was kind of puzzling to me because this card has been on eBay with $159 buy it now for a long time, and it still is. Uh, somehow it ended up for auction with a different seller and I won it for like $16 shipped, which is a big difference there. That's like 10% of the former asking price. Um, and like I said, it is still up there with a ridiculous buy it now from somebody else. So as far as I can tell, it's still the same copy. Uh, the serial numbers are the same, but the centering looks the same as well. So it's not like, you know, two different copies got stamped with the same number. Um, so I don't know if I should message the other seller or what. You know, maybe some of you have run into that issue before. Let me know how you handled it. You know, I mean, technically, I don't have to contact him at all. It's just weird because he's trying to sell a card that's now in my possession. Um, I don't think it's anything shady. Maybe he just sent it to consignment and forgot to take it down. Anyway, this now gives me the jersey numbered gold and the jersey numbered X-Fractor. Uh, the only one left I can get from 2003 would be the black 11 out of 500. I might as well pursue that now too, right? Since I have the other ones. Um, okay, the final card I got in this week is one I bought a few weeks ago. It was another eBay purchase, but uh, it was coming from overseas. It's a 2006-2007 Topps Big Game Final Score Patch of Shaquille O'Neal featuring a prime piece of a jersey that Shaq wore during the 2006 Finals as a member of the Miami Heat. And this card is serial number to 50. It's actually my fourth copy. And some people might ask, well, are you trying to get all of them or something? No, I've actually let some go in the past, but this particular copy stood out to me because it features a pretty prominent piece of the Larry O'Brien trophy on it. Um, I have another one that has a small piece of the gold basketball from the logo, but this one features a large part of the side of the trophy. So the moment that one popped up on eBay, I knew that I wanted to make a serious run at it. So... You know, there's not any special story or chase that goes with this one, but I'm glad I was able to land it. It's getting harder and harder to find significant finals pieces these days, so this one was certainly a treat. Uh, I'll make sure to post it up on my social media if I haven't done so already, so you can see it for yourself. Hi Kyle, this is Josh Adams, Midwest Vintage Cards on Instagram. I am looking for 1997-98 Upper Deck Diamond Dimensions out of 100, and also 97-98 Upper Deck SP Authentic Profiles 3, also out of 100. Thanks, and love the show. It's fitting that I've got someone searching out 90s stuff today as I'm about to chat with Jake Roy, and hopefully this little spot can help Josh out. He and I ended up meeting up for a little bit at the 2021 National where he was set up, and his booth number is still stuck in my head because it was 311, like the band. I think that's the way he pitched it to me, but um, even though I'm not going to the National this year, I would encourage you to do so if that's something you're interested in and it's reasonable for you to do. I've got to meet up with so many people there that I've interacted with online, um, and this is not to say that in online interactions don't hold their own weight, but they feel a little more important to me once I've been able to shake someone's hand and finally put a name and a face to the online handle. 
And while I won't be doing that at the National this year, I've already had a number of people messaging me saying that they'll be either at the um, Indiana show that I'm going to in Fishers or the Dallas show this summer. So um, I can't wait to meet up with some of you. All right. Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer, played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. All right, joining me today is someone that most of you are probably already familiar with. He's been on the show before, and I'll say it again, I consider him to be one of the OGs when it comes to basketball card content online. Um, the last time I saw him in person, I believe we were feasting on Taco Bell into the wee hours in the morning. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't think we can top that experience virtually, but today we're definitely going to try. Jake, how's it going, man? Kyle, good. Uh, always happy to be here and see you. And uh, yeah, that Taco Bell feast was, uh, was one to remember for sure. Well, and speaking of Taco Bell, because I know um, I'm going to get a lot of messages about it. Yeah. Did you see the big Taco <laughs> Bell news today? I did. I did. The Mexican pizza is back. Mexican pizza is back. So I, I it's coming back. I don't know the official return date, okay. but uh, yes, it is coming back. Uh, so definitely going to have to enjoy one of those in the near future. I don't think um, I don't think you would have any issues with that either. Right. Are you a Mexican pizza <laughs> fan? You know, I've never had one. Um, so I don't know if I'm a fan yet or not, uh, but th- uh, the pictures look good. That's for sure. Not, yeah, not my favorite menu item, but it's one of those things, um, when it goes away for a while, you know, it comes back and you want it. The only thing that doesn't have that effect on me is the McRib. I don't, I was I don't just going to mention that. <laughs> I, I don't have that same sentiment with the McRib, but all right. Either. Um, I mentioned that you've been on the show before and it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Maybe it's because we're, you know, constantly texting and chatting throughout the week, but I think the last time you came on was January of 2020 when we did our Kobe episode. So a lot has changed since then, both in the world, obviously, and in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are. It's the playoffs again, even though we're going to talk about 90s cards today. um, I I don't want to just, you know, kind of peg you in as just the 90s guy. So I know you and the misses are keeping a close eye on the playoffs, especially now that Steph's back. Um, any first impressions of this first weekend or any wild predictions for later on? Well, uh, so before the season started, uh, I had predicted on another podcast, the sports card therapist that the Warriors would win the championship. And at that time it was kind of a hot take. Um, so it's still a very hot take. It it, it is a pretty hot take, but at that point people weren't sure if they were even going to make the playoffs Okay, uh, because the season hadn't started, you know, look at the Vegas odds anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, if we, if we trust those, but I mean, the three seed, uh, it's a tough matchup with the nuggets, but it is very exciting seeing, you know, the, their big three back, but, uh, you know, my wife and I have been looking at the roster and, you know, obviously following the team this year, they've got seven or eight guys that could rotate in and out of that starting lineup. Uh, you know, obviously Jordan Poole put on uh, quite a show in the first game, 
Uh, yeah, we, you know, we got to say big four now, maybe. Yeah, well, and I mean, Kaminga, too. He didn't play much in the first game, but he is really, really incredible. And, uh, you know, as young as he is, I think he's 19. He might have just turned mm-hmm. 20. Uh, I think he's a bright future. So um, I've got a box of Don Russ coming in. My wife and I are going to rip watching the game whenever it comes in. Um, my buddy grabbed one at, at Walmart. So uh, she, I'm trying to get her into ripping cards. So maybe during the game, if we pull a Kaminga, she'll get excited. Well, she was there when you ripped that uh, 2018 Luca pink, right? So she was, she wasn't there when I pulled it. I definitely showed her as soon as I got home and I made her rip one and she pulled a, uh, a very swaggy rookie named Marvin Bagley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she still has that. Well, yeah. I, and I don't know which one you would rather still have. I mean, I know you traded, <laughs> I know you traded the Luca for some nice penny stuff. So uh, sure. no shame in that at all. Yeah. Um, speaking of penny stuff, I reached out to you this weekend because I wanted to get some more 90s content on the show. Uh, And as you've discussed in your previous appearances, you've been opening this stuff and analyzing this stuff and collecting this stuff since it first came out. When I messaged you, I told you I wanted to talk about parallels specifically. Come to find out you'd already made a list like this. You had it primed and ready to go. So maybe it was fate. But before we get too far in today, I want you to give some context for this list because you're calling it your top 10 most iconic 90s parallels. I have my own definition of iconic. I've discussed Mm -hmm. it in a previous episode, Um, but I don't want to assume that it's the exact same as yours. So tell me what we're working with here. Yeah. So to me, iconic is, uh, you know, I look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition, something that is distinguished. It's, It's set apart. Uh, but also for me, iconic is something that is easily recognizable, something okay. that if I can show it to, you know, maybe not my wife, but most card collectors, mm-hmm. they're probably going to recognize it or at least say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, so we think of the Jordan 86 Fleer. We think of the 52 Mantle. You know, we think of the Wagner T206. Those are iconic. You know, I can just say them. We have a picture in our head. Right. Um, so that's what I think of when I think of iconic. Okay. Now, you also... Um you sent me this list and you wanted to clarify on there that this is only base set parallels and not insert parallels. Um, And I know everyone's kind of at a different point in their collecting journey here. That's listening. Can you um, explain the difference there for us? Sure. I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, So for base set parallels, look at the base set. The parallels are going to be a visual difference to what the base set is. And it's going to run for the entire print run of the base set so cards one through however long the set goes whereas the inserts are going to be cards that are different in design from the base cards that you're going to pull the you know they're also going to have a smaller uh checklist maybe just 10 cards or 20 cards they're going to have specific players some of those sometimes have parallels sometimes they don't um so i'm looking at just the base set parallels that are going to run the entire print run of that base set Okay, so let's let's say like a um, a new prism card uh, from the base set. Uh, the green parallel is a mm-hmm. base set parallel. Let's say green parallel Trey Young, but then if you get the um, the get hyped set, the Trey Young from there, the green parallel that's an insert parallel, right? Even though they're both Trey Young, even though they're both green. So hopefully, right. I said I, I hope that made it clear. I hope it didn't confuse anything. Um, anymore there, but all right. So that's our criteria here. 
you sent me your list of 10, including an honorable mention. So we actually mm -hmm. have 11. Let's go through them in reverse. So what I'll do, I'll name each card and then I'll kind of just get out of the way. So you can tell us why you chose it because it's your list. And uh, maybe even if you know a Panini parallel that has the same pattern, you might mention that too. And then um, I'll try and jump in and add some commentary or maybe some memories that I might have of some of these cards as well. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. All right. So uh, let's start with the honorable mention. For your honorable mention, you said, or you chose the 1998-99 Skybox Premium Star Rubies. Tell us a little bit about that card. Yeah, so those ones are beautiful cards. They have two different designs, the, the Series 1 and Series 2. Uh, so, you know, thinking of my guy, Penny, Jordan, they kind of had this gold leaf pattern. I don't think there's anything that parallels to Panini today. Uh, but those are really, uh, you know, something that you see in a case, you're going to, your eyes are immediately going to be drawn to it. Uh, you know, a lot of people can probably think of what the Jordan looks like. Uh, so really rare, really hard to find, you know, as with all these condition is definitely key. Uh, but the second series is really cool because you have a lot of the rookies. So the Vince Carter and all those, there are also really, really cool subset cards uh, you know, where Penny and a lot of the other stars are, they're called 90 fine. Uh, so that pattern on there is almost like a, I think it's like a hyper, uh, mm -hmm. I've seen like a pink hyper, um, for Panini cards. That's really cool. So with a 90 fine, uh, you get some color in there that matches the theme of the card. Whereas with the rookies and stuff, it's kind of more of a silver look. Um, again, really cool. Don't stand out as much as that first series, the gold. Um, but they definitely are eye-catchy when you get them in the light. So now um, this was something I, I really didn't think about ahead of time, but since we are dealing with 90s, you already mentioned the difference between uh, Series 1 and Series 2. Uh, could you break that down for us real quick, just in general, as, you know, card sets having different series? Yeah, so Series 1 usually was like an early year release before we knew what teams the rookies were on or before they signed their contracts. So a lot of times... You had the stars of the sets. Um, and with 98, 99, because it was the lockout year, a lot of sets didn't have a series two, but they did um, have series one and they want to make sure Jordan got in there because he was uh, deciding whether or not he would retire. So series one had, you know, all your veteran stars. And then series two usually had uh, your rookies and any players that changed teams or sometimes the fun ones were the new jerseys that teams would have. Okay. So you mentioned the the star rubies here, which I actually do have one of these. I have a Dale Davis. I don't have everything on this list, so I'm going to need your help posting some pictures up. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of these uh, between Not the two of us. Uh, hopefully between <laughs> the two of us, we can fill everything out here. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the, um, the ones that were actually on your list. Number 10 is a 1996-97 Flair Showcase. You listed the Legacy Collection. Tell us about right. that. Yeah, so Legacy Collection, numbered to 100, and these were kind of mind-blowing at the time. Uh, they didn't add a ton of difference from the regular set. It was kind of a little Legacy Collection stamp, and the foil was like a blue uh, rainbow foil. Uh, really cool looking, uh, but the it, it was just because it was so rare. Uh, and those cards already looked amazing. But you also had it for the three, uh, and this is where Flare Showcase got interesting, the three kind of different base set designs where you had the, the row two, the row one, and the row zero. The row zero being the hardest to pull for the base set, but all of them being numbered to 100. The row zero still carries a premium for the legacy. 
And those look kind of like the white sparkle, just not being white. <laughs> In this case, they're kind of uh, the hollow foil pattern, but uh, just absolutely gorgeous cards, elegant design, and the presentation in the box when you're opening them. Um, yeah, I could go on about Flare Showcase for a long time. A lot of fun. So now I read online today uh, via Cardboard Connection that these cards have the distinction of being the first serial numbered NBA cards, uh, which I thought that was, you know, it. It, for when I talked about iconic, I talked about things that were important or relevant in addition to being recognizable. To me, that's a pretty important distinction. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had had college stuff that was numbered in the thousands or whatever. Um, yes, you know, some of the college stuff was ahead in that regard, but we're talking about pro cards here with the NBA license. So that uh, in itself makes this a pretty important set. But on top of that, they look awesome. Yep. Um, and the- actually, real quick, I misspoke. These ones were numbered to 150. 97, 98, they reduce it to just 100. So want to make sure any of the, uh, you know, the statisticians that are listening know the, that uh, we got that the, right. Uh, yeah, the, who was it, Stat Boy at the end of part of yeah. the interruption? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I listen <laughs> to shows and I want to be Stat Boy. So I know people right. treat my show that way as well. Um, so anyway, so that was number 10. Was the penny that I sold you, was that a 96? That was a 96, yes. Okay, yep. so I, I had the, uh, another thing that, I'm kind of trying to do is to, um, when I'm hunting in lots, I'm trying to find all these different types of unique, uh, parallels. So that was one that I found. And, and I, of course it had to go to you because that just did not fit my collection at all. And I all appreciate right. it. Looked at it today a couple of times. Good. I, I'm glad it is, uh, still helping you out and who knows what those funds went for to me. I wish I could tell you, but I don't know. Uh, number nine though, is the 1997-98 Fleer Metal Universe Championship PMG, which I've also talked a little bit about that one on this show. Uh, tell me about that one. Yeah, so those were pretty cool uh, because the base set had kind of like a, a background from where the player played. So sometimes it's the city skyline. Sometimes it was more of a, their natural uh, uh, you know, habitat, if you will. So the penny, for example, is like the Florida Everglades. Uh, whereas with the Patrick Ewing, you've got kind of the New York City skyline. The Jordan has a really, really nice look at the Chicago skyline and a great picture of him dunking. Uh, but those ones being numbered to 50 also have the designation of being more rare than some of the other items on this list. Um, but also the pattern on there, again, eye-catching. It's like the scopes that we see now from Panini. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I always show it to my my wife and my daughter. They're like, oh, it's like a wheel spinning. And I'm like, exactly, exactly like a wheel spinning. There you go. Yeah, that's one. Um, you know, you can take a picture of it, but if you can get a video instead, you know, whatever platform you're using, that's gonna really show you the full effect of this card and, and really many cards on this list, but that one, especially, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. has that wheel, uh, that wheel effect that goes with it. Now they did something interesting with the championship PMG that uh, as far as I know, wasn't, you know, they didn't do with any of the other sets and maybe you can correct me on that, but that's where they had um, what they called the ultimate gems redemption. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know about that? Can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so my recollection and keep me honest, if I'm, if I'm off on this, but they had a redemption where you could get the entire set, uh, which is just mind blowing to think about right. now. All uh, 98 cards, <laughs> right, all 98 cards numbered to, to 50. And I can't remember, I, I had heard a rumor that all of those in the redemption set were numbered to the same serial number. And 
whatever it was, if it was the first or the last, I can't remember, but uh, that would be crazy also to see like every single one with that same serial number. Cause some people yeah. it's really key on that. I I'd heard that. I think it was the last five is what okay. I heard. So, but yeah, imagine having all, all 98 metal universe championship PMGs um, with the same serial number. It would, it, it would, now it would seem too good to be true. Someone would mm-hmm. think, no, you're, you have a stamp that has that number, right. That <laughs> right. you're manufacturing those, but yes, um, I, I need to find someone that actually got one of those. That would be an incredible story to tell. That and would be, of course, they're probably living a, in a world of regret right now. Who knows? Um, <sighs> all right. Number eight would be, uh, the 1997-98 Topps Finest Embossed Refractors. Mm-hmm. So Topps has made an appearance on the list now. Yeah, and Topps Finest, uh, which is a, a brand that I, I loved in the 90s. So the interesting thing with this, where I said, you know, the parallels ran the whole set run, uh, these embossed refractors only had the silver and the gold of the base set. Um, and the addition to the gold is they were also die cut. Um, and the silver and the gold are both numbered to different ones. So really thinking about the gold ones here as the more rare, more, most significant were numbered to 74. Um, and the refractor pattern is what we know today as like the atomic. I don't know. I don't think Panini employs that, um, that refractor pattern, but I, I could be wrong on that. Um, but, it's hard to tell now. They've got some yeah. sets that have so many parallels. They've run out. <laughs> They've even run they, out of parallels to steal. Yeah, I was going to say, if they haven't stolen this one yet, they should. Um, it's really cool. It's a really cool uh, looking, but the refractor pattern was on the front and the back, which is the other really cool thing about these. Um, but the die cuts uh, that fit with the theme of each of the cards, uh, you know, Finest had those different, uh, you know, kind of uh, designs, defenders or uh, masters or finishers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just really gorgeous cards, but it's just, it's very nineties, you know, adding mm-hmm. a lot to look at die cuts, refractors, embossing, serial numbers. It's uh, yeah. it's a lot for you to take in. It's hard to keep up. All, and and same thing with the showcase with the different rows that that was always hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the silver embossed are numbered to two sixty three, yep. um, And then you, you mentioned the golds are numbered to 74, which those seem like arbitrary numbers to me. I don't, there might be some reason behind it. I've never found anything. Yeah. So if I remember correctly and I don't have it off the top of my head, but they tops was pretty good about stating pack odds, even when the serial numbered cards. Mm-hmm. So I think they correlated the print run just because of the pack odds, whatever, however they packed it out. Um, you know, it's, it was kind of, uh, arbitrary a lot of times with the 90s it it seemed like they were just throwing something against the wall to see what would stick but the cool thing about the silver that you mentioned is uh that refractor patterns like mosaics which Mm -hmm. uh, is my favorite refractor pattern out of any of them yeah it almost uh it feels weird because you know panini has used it a lot more frequently um it almost cheapens the kind of the pattern to me um, not, and that's no fault of Panini. They can choose whatever mm. patterns they want, but it's weird to me. You know, we, we very rarely saw these with the silvers and then now we see them in, you know, every other pack or whatever, a mosaic. Um, so just something to get used to, but it is what it is. It's not that big of a deal. Um, I actually, it wasn't embossed, but I lost, I bid, I was bidding on a 97, 98, uh, tops finest gold of Reggie Miller last night. I thought I had it. I went to bed. I woke up, uh, to defeat, Never a good way to start your Monday, right? Uh, but I'll, I'll get by. I'll live. Number seven. Uh, number seven is also from 97, 98. This time it's the Fleer Ultra Platinum Medallion. 
So let's uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the platinum medallions, uh, the first year that they did platinum medallion was the 97. We are uh, the first year that they still remembered the platinum medallions was in 97. Uh, we had seen them before 96, a little bit different. Um, but these ones definitely stepped it up a notch, not only with the serial numbering, but they had a completely like grayed out card, mm-hmm. uh, with like this speckled, you know, glitter type. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, but it was, uh, it was a monochrome look. Um, and I always think of the Kobe Bryant where he was in the dunk contest, uh, mm-hmm. in that card and just a gorgeous picture of, of Kobe, um, and just something that very definitely stood out, but in a little bit more of a subtle way. Than what we saw in the 90s so that monochrome look uh with a little bit of speckle uh wasn't you know what we've seen with these other ones with all these crazy refractors and all that kind of stuff so it stood out in the sense that it was rare it was the first time that they were surnumbering that parallel um but it also didn't um it didn't really offend your eyes i guess it didn't assault your eyes <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah, the interesting thing to me, and, and I've always liked FLIR Ultra in that um, you can look at a FLIR Ultra card and there are qualities about it that just tell you it's FLIR Ultra, like the name's in cursive, right? There are certain yep. things about it. Even when Upper Deck took over the license, one thing that I really appreciated about their their later iterations of Ultra is like, hey, I can look at that. And even though it, it kind of has a UD feel to it, it still uh, reminds me of FLIR Ultra. But then despite those subtle similarities, as you mentioned, the, the contrast between the 96 platinum medallion, which it was very similar to the base card. I, I think mm-hmm. it just had the, the foil, the name uh, had a right. different pattern to it. Um, and then no serial number on the back. Although I think Beckett says they were out of two fifty. Mm-hmm. but then going to the 97, that was a, a drastic, drastic change, but also didn't kill your eyes. Like you said. So that's one that I really like. I think I want to say I have a Dale Davis of that too. Um, and people are going to think I'm this, I have a, well, we'll get to it later. I have a Dale Davis PMG red. Uh, people right. are going to think I am a Dale Davis super collector. No, I can't afford Reggie Miller. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to have the Dale Davises and the Austin Crozers. And guess what? You know, I love those cards, but, um, I'm not a Dale Davis super collector. All right. Well, yeah. Um, and a lot of these pennies I can't afford. So I have an Alan Houston of that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so. What, what about Nick Anderson? Any Nick Anderson? Nick Anderson, stuff? when I can find him. Yeah. When I can find him, I have uh, quite a few nice Nick Andersons, I think. Sometimes guys like that, though, that you wouldn't suspect, and, and maybe Nick is one of them. Those are the guys that um, actually sell pretty strong. Yeah. Sometimes they do, but I mean, they're hard to find. People yeah. think that, you know, nobody wants them. So I do. Right. You do. So, yeah. <laughs> if you got them, if you got those uh, Pacers and Magic Scrubs, we're, we're ready for them. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, number six uh, is going back in time now. 1993-94 Tops Finest Refractors. Um, so tell me a little bit about those. Yeah, so these ones, and you did a great episode with the creator of, of this technology. So this was the first time we ever saw a refractor. It was a 93-94, and it was in the finest. There's no Tops Chrome at the time. Um, and again, these were something that was... Uh, almost like mythical. If you hadn't mm-hmm. pulled one, you weren't really sure. Do I have a refractor here? What is this chromium card? Uh, they didn't denote it anyway on the back. You just had to know by looking at it. And when you look at a base versus a refractor, it's obvious. But if you had mm-hmm. never seen one, like a lot of us in 93 ripping packs hadn't, uh, you weren't really sure what you were looking for. Uh, and hopefully the hobby shop that you're ripping the packs had one to, to show you or something like that. But uh, my recollection is you got one or two in a box. 
Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Jordan was a big one. Penny being a rookie. Uh, there were a few that were kind of like super short printed, like Chris Weber was a little bit more rare to pull than uh, a guy like Penny, even though they're both rookies. Uh, so a really fun chase, uh, but also just something that really started to get people to, to think outside the box for what we could have for, for cards. Yeah, and I was looking earlier, it says there were basically two different box configurations too. So in your um, regular, you know, typical boxes, it would have been one in every nine packs and then your jumbo packs it was uh one in four is what it looks like so um and then there's been all sorts of reports on rarity from what i've read um i guess that uh they also put them in some repacks at some point in walmart and sam's that was something i hadn't learned before um but yeah that's interesting i have a lot of people that ask me do i have a refractor or not and what i typically tell them is if you do you'll know for sure um, and yeah. that's tough. Like you said, if you don't have something to compare it to, which is why you should always keep, uh, there are several things I try and keep handy, like a real 86 Blear card, mm-hmm. uh, a real 93 refractor, right? Cause these things will stand out to you. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully you can tell the difference there, but they aren't marked on the back, right? You know, today's prism cards usually, and, and really all of the prisms except for, uh, 2012 had that prism font on the back. Um, well, it wasn't always that way. So it wasn't always uh, so simple. We've got it good, whether we, we believe that or not. And in some ways we've got it good today. Yeah. All right. And, number uh, five. Yeah, go ahead. So I made a video just quickly uh, showing the difference between the 93 refractors and base. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on my Instagram and on my TikTok uh, that I don't okay. post as much to. So if people are looking for it, um, it might be buried at this point, but uh, it, it's out there. All right. Well, number five, then we've got 1996-97 Skybox EX2000 credentials. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about the first serial numbered cards with the legacies. So this was the second serial numbered card. Uh, you know, they both came out in the same season, but EX2000 uh, was the first year that we saw some of the incredible design elements that we knew and loved with the Skybox EX set line. You know, really started back with the emotion, but anyway, we'll we'll uh, focus on the '96 stuff. So, uh, not only were the base cards incredible with the acetate being included inside the base cards, uh, but now you also kind of added some uh, really nice silver hollow foil mm-hmm. on the front of the card. You know, very very rare to get, but uh, also like with the hollow foil on the outside, chipping happened all the time. You know, they would mm-hmm. come out of packs just. Uh, destroyed sometimes. And uh, also with the acetate in the middle, the player was kind of die cut out. So there's a lot of edges to get caught on things. I have a, a Kobe who has a, a bent elbow. <laughs> so uh, lots of things could happen with those, which made them uh, a fun chase, not only to try to get the card, but also try to get one that's in you know fairly decent condition. Uh, but also it's an incredible year for all those rookies uh, you know, but the aesthetics of it, the scarcity of it, this all of it plays in together. Uh, but they, you know, while they were very striking visually, they weren't garish, you know, which mm-hmm. is something that we we talked about a little bit of that already happening in the 90s. Right. And now uh, these were numbered to 499, weren't they? Yep. For being numbered to 499, you know, you'd think they would be cheap. I, I, that's a lot of people right. get that impression if, if they you know aren't familiar or, or kind of haven't followed these cards over time. You'd think they would be cheap. Um, they're definitely not. Uh, another thing that 
I, I've noticed that kind of plagues a lot of these is that, uh, well, first off, the grading companies have a little trouble with them because uh, a lot of them are diamond cut. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so you probably know a little bit more about that technology than, than I do. Um, but it just makes it difficult to determine which ones are, you know, real and fake, uh, but also the trimming and how the edges wear, uh, it just, it's a lot of things that are not common, uh, for how they were cut and, and put into packs, uh, for them to try to figure out, you know, what's real, what's fake, what's trimmed, what's, you know, normal wear and tear, all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and hopefully, you know, you would hope that a grading company, takes that into account and knows that certain sets have those issues. But I think what we're finding now after a lot of the trimming controversies is, you know, I think these grading companies know, Hey, this is probably good, but we're just going to, you know, reject it because we are are scared of kind of making those mistakes now, which in a way I respect that. But at the same time, that's frustrating if you're the person that is submitting that card. All right. um, Number four. So we're making some headway here. Number four. Is 1997-98 Skymox Premium Star Rubies. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we talked about the 98-89, but this was the first year that the Ruby Parallel had some sort of, you know, the star aspect, the hollow foil aspect. Um, and these ones were serial numbered, uh, very rare, very hard to get, serial numbered to 45. Um, but just really a cool, just a very unique, uh, weird, you know, a 90s type of, uh, look with the, people call it like, like an amoeba pattern. I call it like a mm-hmm. lava lamp. Um, and again, this is one I don't know if Panini employs in any way. I remember like Score and some other '90s companies did it, but uh, you know, it's it's a hollow foil effect on the front. All of the um, foil that was used on like the nameplate and stuff like that was all the red, which is where mm-hmm. they get the name of the rubies. Um, but again, numbered to to forty five, and um, the year before they were box top. Whereas 97, 98, they were packed out. So, uh, you know, when you know you're going to get something, you just don't know where the player is in the box topper. This time, you had no idea if one was coming uh, in your box or in your entire case. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had no clue about the the box topper aspect of that. That's pretty cool. I definitely wasn't ripping these boxes back then. I uh, wasn't ripping boxes, period. I was ripping just packs then, more collector's right. choice in that time frame. Um, all right, number three then is is from that same year. Uh, is 97, 98 Skybox EX 2001 credentials. Tell me about those. Yeah. So we talked about the year, the first year of the credentials in 96, 97, 97, 98 up the ante, not only in the design aspect with the acetate and the foil and everything that they used on those, but the serial numbering of these was really unique where they had the futures and they had the now. Uh, so they had two different parallels that each had their own coloration, but they also, each card was serial numbered to anywhere from one to 81 and then the opposite. So that's, you know, you'd have the now that would be one to 81 and then the future that would be the reverse. Uh, so there are essentially 82, I believe of any given player. Um, I think it's 81, 81. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one of ones were Ron Mercer and Grant Hill. So, uh, you <laughs> which know, was a big a, deal at the time. Absolutely. Um, one of ones weren't a thing until 97. Right. So, yeah, and that's that might be another list that we would have to come up with here right. in the future. I don't want to take all your channel content, but you got me thinking now. Um, so, yeah, that was, um, you know, definitely a unique color pattern there. Um, there were credentials before and after this, but um, this is the one to me that just like 
screams and stands out because of the that pink and purple pattern and then the mm. kind of the lime green pattern um those are ones that um are very very sought after i don't have any of these i i passed on funny enough i mentioned them earlier i passed on an austin crozier at one point uh, mm. probably wished i would have gotten that but it is what it is do you have any of these no i don't my buddy just got a marcus Camby, the pink and the purple which looks great with the Raptors uniforms. And he found it in a, in a cheap player lot. I, That's right. I remember. You, didn't you, um, I saw that in one of your videos. Didn't you submit that for him? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We sent that out to PSA. I think he got a seven on it, which he's well, no, 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 no. He, he make the people watch the video, right? That's okay. Yes. That's the plug well, there, for the there's video. Some other, there's some other great stuff in that video as well. So there's a, you know, we always uh, pepper in some uh, interesting stuff, in our PSA submissions. I, I do. I always, of course, you know, Everyone loves a good PSA return, but um, you guys are always subbing. I know there's going to be some 90s stuff in there, so I always appreciate oh, yeah. that. All right. Um, number two, then, is 1996-97 Topps Chrome Refractors. Um, tell me about those. Yeah, so uh, the parallel that we know and love, we talked about with 93 being the first year, uh, but 96, when we think of refractors, are really the ones that everybody thinks of. Uh, and mainly because of the Kobe rookie. Uh, and also, you know, we started to know how important it was to make sure that your card wasn't hulking uh, mm -hmm. at that point. So greening, hulking, whatever we want to call it, is prevalent in the, uh, in the 90s uh, refractors, but something that people pay special attention to with the 96 chrome refractors. So uh, very hard to get because this was the first year of Topps Chrome. Uh, again, another another set that was going to become a, a stalwart uh, and really replaced Topps Finest as really being that iconic set for Topps. Uh, and that's one of the things that a lot of people forget about is the first year of Chrome, uh, it took some while to build momentum. It was a retail-only release, <laughs> and uh, a lot of hobby shop owners went and snatched that up, and we saw it sold in hobby shops, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't distributed to them. But before that, Top's finest uh, was more valuable. It was more sought after, uh, even for the first few months uh, when both products were out. Uh, if you wanted a rookie, you wanted the finest rookie over the Chrome, and that's definitely changed since then. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, just incredible cards that uh, that really uh, just stand out as as one of the most important '90s cards. Yeah, and these were uh, these were tough because boxes had twenty packs. And they were one in 12. So uh, a lot of times, you know, you're only going to get one refractor. Um, right. I remember a, a Instagram video a couple years ago, someone found a box and they busted it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. And he pulled the Jordan um, wow. of all things. And then I, so then I said, well, now it really is a disaster because uh, it's proof of concept and everyone that can find a box now is probably going to rip it uh, where, you know, the odds of that are astronomical. Now I talked about greening before I talked about greening with Jim Esker. He, he basically said, you know, uh, it was our foolishness, but he didn't really know why, you know, what caused the greening. I know there are different theories out there. Um, I know Dr. Beckett told me I'm not a chemist, right? That was his response <laughs> right. to it, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, so it seemed like they figured it out maybe by 98. We see a lot less yeah. greening around that time frame. But what's your stance on greening? Are all of these 96s going to eventually turn, or is there some magic, you know, magic force out there that's keeping them? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's I've opened packs of these, you know, especially the 93 finest where they're all green. 
Um, So it, it seems like it's something that's going to happen over the course of time, but there are some that aren't. Um, So I wonder if it's almost like what, uh, what, what Gene from arena design said with the acetates yellowing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if you get a a batch that's yellow, it's because of the chemical makeup and it's, it's going to be yellow. And uh, if you get one that hasn't turned yet, it's probably going to be good. Um, but for myself, I know I like to keep my early nineties refractors out of the sun, you know, in a dark place. I like to keep them, you know, protected, uh, you know, treat them, treat them well is what I like to do, but who knows if that's going to serve me well. Err on the side of caution. If you don't agree with the humidity or the sunlight or all these arguments, well, adhere to it anyway, right? Just treat it with caution and, and take care of these things. Um, and, and we'll hope for the best. And then meanwhile, um, there were some guys that were, you know, saw the brunt of the greening like Rick Smith's. Um, if you find a Rick Smith's out there where he, he is not greening, uh, let me know. I'd love to have that one. <laughs> All right. Number one, the big one, which if we pause for a moment, I think everyone would guess this one, but uh, we're still going to talk about it because it, it deserves it. It is the most iconic here, but that's the 97, 98 Fleer Metal Universe PMGs. Uh, tell me about those. Yeah. So if you haven't seen these before, just uh, Google it quickly. You'll see the Jordan green. Uh, So these had two different colors, uh, both of them coming together to make a hundred copies. So the first 10 were green uh, numbered one through 10 and then everything 11 to 100. So the last 90 would be red. Uh, And these are, you know, exactly what they, what, what they say. They are a green card and a red card. (laughs) So uh, incredible uh, etched foil uh, that had really intricate kind of comic book hero type of designs that just got a monochromatic uh, uh, treatment to them. And uh, really it jumps. They, Mm -hmm. they really stand out. You know, the, the Fleer retro did it again. Um, but they, they, you put them side by side and they just aren't quite the same. I don't know mm-hmm. what they did to make the, uh, the first ones better or different, uh, but there was something, some magic. Oh, they, that was they, I those. think they spent some money. I think upper deck a went, lot. Uh, <laughs> skimped out on spending money and, and same thing when they tried it in 2008 too, with those flaky pieces of trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got a, I've got a Richard Lewis after I learned about those from you, um, which are, they're weird. They're weird cards. Yeah, I did. A, I did a comparison on my YouTube of the 2008s and then the the 97s, which I got a Dale Davis of, um, and uh, two totally different cards here. But um, like we talked about earlier, I, I would say this is another one that you have to show on video to get the full effect yeah. of it. And I, you know, I've used some filters and whatever to get a good picture of of mine. But uh, it's definitely got to be on video. Very condition sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, very sought after though. I mean, um, I know at one point I, I said, I thought that they were overrated. Um, I guess because it's just, everyone was talking about them and they're nice cards, but you know, it didn't really do it for me. It has grown on me over time. Seeing it in person has, has helped with that. Um, and now it's hard to get commons. I think who was it? Mm-hmm. Do you remember which one we saw at the national that was $600? Uh, I want to say it was maybe Horace Grant. I, it might, I know it, I, it was, I know I had seen a Horace Granite national, but I don't know if there are any others. It was, I was going to say Luke Longley, but I don't think it was a bull because I think a bull maybe would, you know, would command that price tag, but yeah. it was one or Todd Fuller or somebody. Uh, it was just one of Good those guys where it's like, what's $600, but 
you know, that's kind of the point that we're at. Um, I thought I overpaid on my Dale Davis at one thirty, and now, um, you know, I feel a lot better about that. I guess I would, you say. know, I turned down a Terrell Brandon going back. I want to say it was 2018, mm-hmm. you know, and we, you talked about the condition being very sensitive. This one definitely had some foil loss on the top and in the front. And I think the seller offered it to me for like $75 because mm-hmm. of the condition. And I said, you know, it doesn't fit my PC, you know, all, all the rational reasons. Right. But if I could go back, you know, that's uh, that's an easy buy at $75. Well, and, and it, it wasn't that long ago. I want to say, you know, heading into, I think the 2019 national, there was a, a Dell Curry that sold online before that for about 80 bucks. And I was kind of in the same boat. I'm like, ah, it doesn't really fit my PC, uh, which, yeah. you know, now it would have been nice to grab it just to have one. But at, at right. the time that was high, you know, and, and, well, obviously things have changed because it's iconic and because people are catching on to that. Um, at the same time, though, collect what you like. You know, we're not trying to tell you what to like. And this is Jake's list. A lot of people will like it. A lot of people will disagree. That's what makes this so interesting here. But uh, let's reflect on a few things here before we end our conversation today. One thing I noticed as I was going through your list, which I really enjoyed your list, by the way. Thanks for putting that together. But with the exception of the 93 finest refractors, all of these came from a short span of just three years, like 96 to 98. Um, Mm. Now, that's not to say that there weren't cool parallels that came before or after that, but I don't think the timing here should be overlooked. And I'm sure you noticed that too. What do you make of all this good stuff coming out in such a a short period of time? Yeah. So I think that this was a culmination of a, a number of factors. One of them, we had a number of different companies in the space, mm-hmm. all trying to compete. Uh, creativity was very important at that point because that's how we attracted or they attracted the collectors. Uh, but also we talked about the arenas. Uh, mm-hmm. They were definitely behind most of these Skybox uh, parallels and Skybox designs. Uh, they were doing some very creative, very weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nineties, we were all, uh, we're all ready for some weird, I think at that point. Um, but the other thing too, is, uh, they were also experiencing what was a big boom in cards in the early nineties. Uh, and they had some money to throw at things and see what kind of stuck. And, and that led them to try some, some fun, creative things in the mid nineties. But then, you know, thinking about why didn't this continue? Why didn't we have some other stuff? I think that, um, when the arena stepped out of Skybox, um, you know, they, they started to just go with what worked. Uh, I mm-hmm. think also like you talked about throwing some money at these cards and these designs, they realized that they need to start making some money and not spending yeah. quite as much. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we appreciate now that might not be, uh, uh, possible because of, uh, the, the cost prohibitation. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, memorabilia cards were kind of starting to creep in. We had some great rookie classes in this time frame, or at least a few, you know, with each class had a few at the top. I mean, 96 was absolutely loaded, but 97, right. we had Duncan and, and Van Horn at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, 98, we had Pierce, we had Vince Carter, which was, you know, way bigger than Pierce at the time. Oh, yeah. uh, we had Jason Williams. So uh, there was a lot going on that I, you know, helped propel these sets as well. But then, also the memorabilia started to become more popular and Hey, guess what? I'm, I love memorabilia cards. I talked about it all the time, but um, I, it seemed like the card companies kind of wanted to go more in that direction. And um, it, it's kind of, I 
I, I don't know if Skybox was really wanting to utilize the arenas as much at that point. Uh, I know I've heard them on some other shows. I don't want to speak for them, but it seemed like they were definitely going uh, more the memorabilia route. And then uh, Jordan retired too. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot, a lot of things happening in that short period of time, but um, you know, maybe we didn't appreciate so much what was happening, but um, we didn't quite have that perspective because you can't, it develops over time. Do you feel like the push into memorabilia cards and away from inserts and parallels, do you feel like that was more consumer driven or more manufacturer driven? My recollection was it was consumer driven. Uh, I feel like that's what everybody wanted when upper deck started doing that in 97, mm-hmm. you know, people's hair was on fire to get to the upper deck packs. Uh, right. And myself included, when I started pulling memorabilia cards, when they started becoming more common to mm-hmm. pull, it didn't deter me from wanting them because they were so yeah. cool. They were so hard to get that even when they became easier to get, they were just so desirable. Um, you know, it, obviously over time we saw that they started to water it down where it was just jerseys. Then they started doing some pieces of shorts, which was okay. And then they started doing warm ups, mm-hmm. not so great. Um, you know, so shoes were cool to me, but then, you know, we went from the game worn stuff to the player worn stuff and uh, you know, all that stuff as they started to water it down, but it was what everybody wanted. I mean, I remember getting all-star event worn warm-up cards of Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady. And I didn't care. It was a piece mm-hmm. of material that was on their body. It was cool. Right. Um, so yeah, I know I, I keep, consumers- uh, I keep cheering for you to pull a, a, a UD game Jersey on your channel. I know it's going to happen someday. Just keep, I've keep- got, I've got like three or four packs on deck to open at some point here in the next year. So it, there might be one in there. You know? uh, yeah. Well, kudos to you, by the way, because you've got a channel that um, primarily is around ripping packs and, and nineties packs. And these last three years, I mean, that stuff is just blown up and yeah. become so hard to find. So uh, anytime I can see you still getting into some packs on your channel, I, I want you to know that I appreciate that because I'm living vicariously through you. Um, you know, we mentioned that this stuff kind of faded away. Technically it didn't go away because we still had credentials in the early two thousands. We still had platinum medallions. We still had uh, star rubies in 2001, uh, but they were ugly. They were yeah. not good. They were papery, <laughs> right? It's like all of the things that defined these cards and all of the reasons why they're iconic on your list. Uh, was stripped away from them and they were just that pretty much in name. So that was kind of disappointing to see it take that uh, transition. And then, um, well, and then the rookie sucked then too. So (laughs) it's just, just a weird time. It's weird to see, you know, kind of the things that drive the hobby and the things that uh, dictate what happens and how all that comes together. Um, You know, I, I know it's hard to generalize an entire era and an entire collecting community, but what do you remember about the way these nineties parallels were received them? Uh, in the early 2000s, did people forget about them? Were they sought after? Uh, what was the attitude towards these cards after a handful of years had passed? Yeah, so I know for myself, uh, I didn't really, some of these, I shouldn't say, not all of them, but some of these I didn't really care about, you know, in the early 2000s when I was collecting. Um, PMGs, the, the number one on the list, I didn't care about them. And, right. and some of that was because I had never seen them, right? Mm-hmm. They were so rare my hobby shop never pulled them. Um, you know, when the, the owner would rip packs, it was very uncommon that he would get a good hit. Um, and we didn't have money, many pictures, if any, on eBay listings at that point. 
you know, my friends had never pulled any of these. I was the one that ripped the most packs out of all my friends, you know, so we wanted what we could see. And a lot of that we determined by what we could see in the Beckett. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they had a little picture above the, the set listing, we wanted that card, even if we didn't uh, PC that player. But when we looked at the, the pictures of the PMGs, you know, the black and white uh, pictures. Yeah. Didn't okay. Quite what's do going it. on here? Well, it yeah, looks like exactly. the base card, really. Right. Exactly. So, you know, some of these we didn't want. I talked about the flare showcase stuff. Um, you know, we dreamt of what those would look like um, because we thought the product was so cool. These must be radical. Uh, you know, chrome refractors, we had seen those finest refractors. We had seen those. We wanted those. But it was really the stuff that we could see that we wanted to get. Uh, and we knew what they looked like or we, we knew what the product looked like. Um, but a lot of the stuff, like I said, you know, the, the insert designs were really cool. We wanted those, we saw those, uh, and then the Jersey cards, we knew what we were looking for there. So, um, my recollection for myself anyway, is, uh, these weren't as sought after, uh, these weren't as, you know, ferociously correct collected as some of the other stuff in the early two thousands. Yeah. And you, you can't always chase something if you don't know it exists. I suppose that was kind of my case where, you, you talked about Beckett's like I would use the same Beckett for like two years straight and then I'd finally get another one. You know, it's just, <laughs> why do I need a new Beckett? I've got one already. I, I didn't understand the, uh, the arrows so much, I guess, but um, regardless of, of the perceptions of the cards, then they have, however, become very popular for collectors today. And obviously you're a big fan of them. Uh, I would say, you know, at the very least, I appreciate them. Um, neither one of my parents collected though. And, um, you know, I didn't have someone to rip packs with. So I was kind of in this thing on my own, even though they would buy packs for me, but you, on the other hand, you had your dad, you had your brother. And as you mentioned, you had your local shop to kind of mentor you, or at least, you know, show you the ropes here. Um, how do you think that shaped your appreciation for these cards today? Yeah. I mean, that had a huge impact on, uh, you know, whatever was cool with the, you know, your peer group or the people that you were hobbying with. Uh, was cool to the rest of us, uh, you know, so it formed a ton of the nostalgia that keeps fueling me to collect now, uh, you know, in, in like some of the chases that I'm still after were because they were things that we ripped packs to try to chase, you know, the, the I talk a lot about the 98, 99 uh, UD choice four stars, the golds, mm-hmm. um, we dreamt of what those would look like, uh, we had pulled the one and the two and the three stars, what did the four stars look like? Um, you know, and that's one of the things, that's why that's one of the top wants on my penny list because the nostalgia, the chase, you know, I feel bad because I had one of those at one point and it did not end up in your hand. So maybe someday though, one will cycle back around to you. Eventually, Um, eventually. All right, Jake. Well, this has been a lot of fun and, you know, we've really only scratched the surface when it comes to all things nineties. Of course, you've got your channel and we'll hear about that here in a moment, but Uh, We've only scratched the surface. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show. We'll have to do this again in the future. Before you go, I want to give you a chance to offer if you've got any final thoughts, uh, if you want to plug an upcoming video or you want to plug your social media handles, all that kind of stuff. uh, Feel free. These next few moments are yours. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me on. This was a blast. Uh, and, uh, like you said, it was fate that I had this list ready and and we could jump in together and do it. So, uh, this was a lot of fun to do it. And, uh, you can find me on nineties underscore B ball underscore cards on pretty much every social media platform, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, 
TikTok even a little bit. Uh, and yeah, so I had mentioned that I'm searching for a few of these pennies still. So I think this week my video is going to be on my top 10 penny want list. Uh, and a lot of these are, are pretty pricey cards. So uh, be on the lookout for some uh, great uh, penny eye candy, 90s eye candy too. All right. So consider that a bonus collector classified here because we got to find some of those Penny Hardaway cards for Jake. Um, he's got, I've seen some of them in person. I've seen him wheel and deal for some of them in person. Uh, I'm impressed with what I've seen, but I'd love to see him add those uh, super tough ones and maybe all, all of these 10 iconic cards. Thanks again, Jake. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to extend a big thanks once again to Jake for coming on the show and educating us in all things 90s. He mentioned his YouTube channel there, and I can't emphasize this enough. If you enjoyed what he had to say today, head on over to his channel, watch some videos. It's even better because, you know, there's visuals that go with it. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all of that good stuff helps him out. Um, I think he's a great example of content that's going to stand the test of time when all is said and done. Um, so you now know where to find him. As for myself, as always, you can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.